Hey everyone, welcome to an ass spankingly new episode of Kellen's Petty Talk Show. I'm so excited to have Casey Cavalier, guitarist of Philadelphia rock band The Wonder Years. This is one of the hardest working individuals grinding in the scene, and his hard work always pays off. There hasn't been a single release from him or the band over the years that I haven't clicked with. I've been fortunate to see them play sets all over the place, from Philly to Pittsburgh, Buffalo to Toronto, LA, and probably some others that I'm forgetting. Cleveland? Maybe? Possibly? Anyways, if you're not on The Wonder Years movement yet, don't fret their music is easily accessible go check them out give casey a follow on instagram at case underscore rock that's c-a-s-e underscore rock and let him know he kicks ultimate ass next sunday i'm pleased to announce i'll be having courtney Gaines from children of the corn on the show so stay tuned for that and keep sharing this thing around more listeners gets more guests if you enjoy my little shit show let it be known shout it from the rooftops as always thanks for listening and i hope you enjoy the show I'm just extremely both intimidated and impressed if that's. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> I mean, realistically, I could have written a thousand, but uh, cool. yeah, this is, this well, is what honestly, I, came up with. I kind of love. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm ready to go. I have my coffee. I'm yeah. like, me too. I got my Tim Hortons right here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't, get, a, I didn't oh, yeah. get a chance to make my coffee. <laughs> oh, right. You're the Timmy Horton because you're in Buffalo. Yeah. Of you're course. like all the way up there. You're almost, you're yeah. almost to uh, the Canadian uh, border. Damn. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Second, I was like, am I talking to a Canadian right now? Ah. A lot of people think I have that accent. Uh, no, not even in that. I'm just like, I forget that Tim Hortons is on our side of the border. Yeah. When you, click, you know what I mean? Like, cause you don't see it anywhere else. Even like down here, you don't see it. I feel like it's pushed a couple States though. Now I think they at least have it in like Pennsylvania. They probably do. They probably do. But I yeah, feel yeah. like as, as we all know, America really runs on Duncan. So, oh no, <laughs> it does. Uh, no, we're not going to get into that. Good God, the <laughs> the pitfalls and like conversational descents that our band has taken into like everything from what constitutes a sandwich to yeah. you know, uh, God, don't open the the can of condiment worms with certain people in my band. <laughs> if you mention like mayo or ketchup, yeah, there will be hell to pay. Uh, oh, so you hate ketchup? No, not me. Uh, just oh, other, I see. other band members who I will not, I will not mention by name. But uh, so that's like a Philly thing. You just hate like certain condiments. It's like a, it's like a sin. Not really. Well, the Philly thing is we just like kind of hate everything a little bit. That's yeah. the Philly thing. Um, Bunch of assholes up there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, that is you know the the old like batteries at Santa Claus thing. I like. Yeah. There's no way around that. You know what I mean? Like people have heard it. It it exists. It happens. You know. Um, but yeah, no. They, that's that's less of a. That's just me saying we'll we'll quickly disintegrate into that and we'll get to like one of thirty three questions. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, on that note, uh, how long have you been doing the podcast for, by the way? Dude, that's what's funny. I was looking at my Instagram story today, like the memories, and I think it was one year ago today that I picked up all the equipment. Oh, cool. Really? Oh, that's all, well, honestly, congratulations. I, yeah. I'm truly uh, even more honored to be Absolutely. on the one-year anniversary uh, episode. So what have you been doing this past year to stay busy? Check out any cool movies? Oh, honestly... Well, I think I went down the rabbit hole of, you know, Netflix and streaming binges. Uh, I finally got around to watching Watchmen, which was incredible. Uh, I love Watchmen. To say the least. Uh, and honestly, it feels like there has been so much content digested. I'm sure by the entire planet. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Streaming Big platforms time. did not have a bad year. Everybody else had a bad year. But mm-hmm. um and well, to say that, I will, uh, I'll say actually most recently, uh, kind of getting ready for the Oscars. Um, yeah. 
I'm trying to be on top of it this year and, you know, go through some of the, the category nominees and specifically pick the documentary category this year to make sure I watched all the nominees ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And holy shit. I don't know how many of them you're familiar with, but we've watched all but one, honestly, saving what I think will probably be the most crushing time, yeah, uh, yeah. documentary call time for the, for the last one. Uh, but there is some incredible stuff in there. Um, the mole agent is just, there's too, honestly, too many feels to even yeah. relate to right now. We don't have the time, but uh, <laughs> so I've been watching those recently and it's been incredible. Yeah. I so, haven't seen any of the docs, I don't think, but I saw Nomadland and Minari. Watch no. Nomadland, also like a like Very a good. weird faux doc documentary kind yeah. of take. Uh, thought it was really cool, and she is incredible um, as, as an actress. So yeah, no, I shout out to that movie. That was great. And I just watched Pieces of a Woman like two nights ago. That's the one with Shia LaBeouf. Very oh good. yeah. Oh, I don't think I've seen that actually. I, I don't put... think that's up for best pick, but it's definitely nominated for some awards. Oh, I put that in my queue. Love the yeah. love LaBeouf. You get to see his. Uh, you know what? So. Oh wow, the real, the real, the real, boot. the, <laughs> the real, real buff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. honestly, I'm not even mad at you that you blew that you blew that. Um, <laughs> spoiler cover. alert! Deep spoiler alert! You got to throw that in in, in post. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah! For people that haven't seen it, but uh, well, cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. Cool. So I really enjoy the cover you worked on recently with I Call Fives for the Saves the Day song at your funeral. How do you enjoy the process of making that song with that band? Ah, uh, yes. Well. Uh, those lovely lads. Um, the best. First of all, yeah, have a lot of history with them. Um, very fun as, uh, you know, coming up and being a, you know, being a Jersey band, like the tri-state area friends. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool when they reached out to me and said that they were, you know, going to start making music again. Um, and I was, uh, I, you know, honored that they, you know, they, uh, they reached out and thought highly of me to, to come into the studio and it kind of worked out too, because it was obviously a year where um, it's a little tougher to travel and I'm actually, uh, our spot is pretty close to the guys um, or at least some of them. So uh, it was a little easier to navigate that, uh, the logistic end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as doing the song stuff, um, I mean, a who doesn't love that song it has such a wrist uh like Classic. a rich um history and place in the uh in the canon of pop punk nostalgia tracks so just to like get to listen to it and and do it and um is fun it's kind of it's almost like uh actually ironically enough i i had some interesting um tinges having also done a, a number of records uh with steve evitz who has in fact tracked uh that band and many of those uh records uh years ago um so i was there was a little bit of me where i was like man i well i don't want to fuck this up uh either um but uh and and even you know being friends with those guys uh and have you know having toured with them and um their drummer for years dennis lives in philly and is a good friend of mine and such a sweetheart so it, it was an interesting process but ultimately uh just fun right um you know do it anytime you you get to do a cover it's a little bit less of the pressure of conjuring up um you know something completely original and second guessing yourself Mm -hmm. it's almost like you're already um invested emotionally in the song so it's almost like it's a different part of you that you're accessing to do it and we had some fun and, and took a few production liberties very subtly while still trying to like pay homage to the 
um, the ethos and, um, you know, old school qualities of, of that recording in that era. So uh, it was great. It was uh, a ton of fun. They're great players. Jeff's an awesome singer and we so had a blast good. and I'm looking forward to, yeah, doing, uh, hopefully doing more with them in the future <laughs> uh, would be an exciting possibility. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So. Did you, did you check, check out his uh, game stream yet? Jeff Todd's? He's told me all about it. The Jeff Todd, uh, Jeff Todd live. <laughs> yes, I have. I have seen it, uh, as oh, a, it as not much of a gamer admittedly. Um, yeah, me neither, but a, but a deep respect for gamers. Um, yeah. I love it. So I, you know, I, I've checked it out a little bit here and there and I wholly support him. And we've had some really cool conversations about what he's doing and, and super excited for, for that too. Um, it's, it's funny where life takes everybody, you know, yeah. and so, back and being like you got the fam you're doing the game thing and he's still writing up a storm and, and still doing it and still has has a voice like an angel so you know uh i support the gaming or whatever he does in his free time for sure did uh saves oh, the day reach out and say how they liked it or no you know i haven't even honestly i think probably because of covid i haven't even talked to them dennis okay. hit me up randomly not in regards to any of that uh yeah but about um <laughs> looking for uh insight or advice on soundproofing a new like practice space room uh at his house uh <laughs> that's fine I, I passed that along but yeah man i met i miss him i miss those dudes i know um yeah. arun and all them are, are doing really cool stuff down in nashville and have studios and are mm -hmm. such good players um and chris is it, always going to just uh, be creating in some capacity so mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i haven't asked them um but uh, you know i hope they i hope they dig it or honestly they could also tell me yeah enough's enough with that song we've had to play it at the, you know <laughs> what i mean like, they could also have that relationship with it which i um which i could i guess relate to a little bit you know i uh, think it's fantastic i mean i can't stop listening to it oh thanks yeah um yeah it was it was really cool and um and michael uh Mr. Michael Dominic Kennedy of mm -hmm. uh, Wonder Years percussive fame uh, did actually uh, cut drums for uh, the songs in the mm -hmm. studio. So that was fun to work with him outside of the Wonder Years capacity on a project as well as a little as a little side note. Yeah, probably less pressure too, right? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's cool. It's weird. It's like I think you know we hold things a lot tighter. Um, yeah. you know, at, at the chest from a creative standpoint, you know, when we're in our band and we have, we're so used to the working dynamic between the two of us in that regard that I think it's interesting to see the relationship change and me be doing like the, like wearing a producer hat and him playing more of like, you know, I'm, I'm here to like make some hot fire on the drums, you know, and just like, yeah. what are, what are we doing? Right. Um, <laughs> So it was, uh, it was cool. It was, it, that was definitely a fun element of it too. I like him and he, he is just, what a creative force. Uh, a monster. I, he, he really is. My <laughs> yeah. So was there really going to be a Wonder Years I Call Five split at one point or no? Because I heard there was. Where are you getting that information from? Some guy named Kyle Tedesco. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, some guy from the past. Uh, Honestly, I can't remember. I, it sounds like something that I, um, obviously you could imagine would have, could have been like talked about by yeah. you and in, and at what <laughs> like degree of seriousness. I yeah. don't, um, 
That's fine. But uh, my yeah, my memory on stuff like that is not always great. But again, like I said, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised with how intermingled we were uh, yeah. many years ago if that was if that was a thought that was brought up. So this is the best you get though is yeah. me uh, working with them now this many years later, I guess. <laughs> and do we do we plan to see you working with them more for the upcoming stuff or no? Uh, we do. Ooh, I mean, I, I kind of figured yeah, that. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, like yeah. I said them and i think they're writing some really cool stuff that uh the public has yet to hear but uh, i have maybe had a little uh sneak peek at and it's yeah. very it's very cool yeah i may have had a sneak peek too they haven't lost they haven't lost a step yeah <laughs> hell yeah so you and a couple guys run true level studio up in blackwood new jersey how has it been being able to create projects there and how can people find out more information on it Right. Uh, yes. So Blackwood is just like a hop, skip and a jump right across the old Walt Whitman bridge. Uh, so it's pretty much fit in Philly, like right outside. And um, it's honestly been incredible. So a couple years ago, I realized that uh, in, in downtime uh, off the road in between Wonder Years writings and, and records, um, you know, I like you could probably imagine uh, have been, you know, working on anything from just like random instrumental stuff to, you know, getting in the mix with a couple other bands that, you know, that have reached out or, um, you know, had kind of uh, crossed paths with and, and explored working with uh, from a production capacity and recording capacity. And, um, and I realized I was like, man, I really love that. I love being on the other side of the glass in this. It's a it's a different approach and uh, still get that sense of creative fulfillment, but also uh, a really powerful sense of fulfillment by seeing somebody else bring their vision and their art to fruition, you know, and it's almost like a freeing thing where with Wonder Your Stuff, there's a little bit more creative pressure to finish it off round the corners and all this. And, and that's not to say that it... Um, that I don't find myself very, uh, very structured in trying to maintain every, you know, semblance of detail, uh, in the projects that I work on with other bands, but, um, it's just a different, it's just a different thing. And I, and I really love it, man. It's so cool. It allows me to think and, and work with bands, um, you know, outside of, you know, the thought process that has become like the wonder years machine in a way. Mm -hmm. And so it's really enriching. It's uh, it's helped me, I think evolve creatively kind of jumping around, you know, yeah. getting in the midst of other bands where they're at in their process and trying to help. And, and ultimately I think I've, you know, over the last couple of years since we've been there and been working out of that space uh, found that it's also uh, really interesting opportunity for me to kind of pass along all the little like nuggets that have come in and, and floated in, um, you know, via successes and or mistakes that have been made in some ways, you know, yeah, or yeah. just, just general life experience of, you know, spending 15 years in a band with the same people, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's, we're very lucky to have that opportunity. So the studio itself was a, was a place that I just, uh, serendipitous meeting of, of two other people, my, my two partners, Adam and Tom, uh, who are extremely talented, uh, engineers, songwriters, uh, creatives, and also, um, acousticians, um, and, and very well versed in, in the artistic and, and scientific end of all of that stuff. And, uh, I had known Adam who played in, uh, the band Sorority Noise, uh, as well as a number of other bands around here. Um, Missed he them. 
he was a Jersey kid and uh, Tom is an incredible uh, Philly engineer doing some amazing uh, and very innovative stuff mm -hmm. in this uh, recording scene here. And yeah, you know, I was looking for a spot um, to start doing mix work and production work outside of the home and outside of other, you know, commercial studios, uh, a spot to call my own and a spot to kind of finish off projects with other bands. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it was just this, I happened to be jamming with Adam right there and called some other people together. And, um, and he was like, well, I, I run this like, uh, acoustic consulting company, um, with this guy, Tom, like you should, you should meet him. I think you'll like him. You'll be a good dude. And I mean, the, yeah, the, I mean, the rest is history. And that was, you know, yeah. three years ago when we came in, designed this, they designed the space and we all put our heads together of what we wanted out of it and, and how we could make it functional found an existing uh, commercial facility in Blackwood that had some free space and, and we knew the owner and was willing to, you know, was willing to have us make, come in and make a third room and be like a third partner in that space uh, and make it our own. So it's, it's been awesome uh, to work out of uh, in that capacity and, and have a space, especially over the past year, as you can imagine, where I yeah. have a outside of the home that we can go safely isolated and work on, you know, projects and, and not, busy. <laughs> and not lose our mind staring at a wall at home you know exactly no i really appreciate that about you you're a hard-working dude constantly working thank you um i appreciate that um and i think yeah it's sometimes maybe too much if you ask certain people that live with me but uh yeah no, i can see that yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like sometimes it's tough to put down the phone and yeah it's, really it's tough so that's that that work work play balance work-life balance is is also a thing that i think not suffered but was uh is it it was even tougher in some ways to grapple with this year but you know still still finding our way every day through that you know so going back to the humble beginnings when the band started you guys would use gear from other bands and play a single joke song and get off the stage you went and recorded get stoked on it in 10 days and released it without any intention of it sticking how did this help the progression of the band over time? And had you not done this, do you think the band would have ever taken off? So I've actually been asked this question a couple of times in a couple of different formats, but I think the yeah. general consensus of an answer that I've come to is, yeah, we did not give a fuck. And I think that, <laughs> that helped us not hold on to it too tightly or take it too seriously. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot uh, a lot of bands and admittedly a lot of, you know, some of them very talented too, um, where they put out one song and they're just like, everything's got to be perfect. I got to get my blue steel face. And like, we've got to have matching, you know, um, uh, this is a very low key to matching like key we came up in the myspace era so it's like we got matching key necklaces and like your hair's got to be this way and your hair's got to be this way and you've got to be the one that has the long you know the long hair um shout out ed you know like um <laughs> like you'd be perfect you'd be a huge asset in that era because not not everybody was able to grow and get that kind of length and volume you know um but but I think for us uh, doing the, hey, let's pop on, we were just part of a scene, part of a community, other friends um, spread out, uh, you know, among like a couple neighboring high schools. It, uh, we were all playing in other bands that I think we were like, you know, taking seriously, uh, so to speak, heavy air quotes on that. Like the premiere, uh, right? Uh, so yeah, so a couple of the dudes were in the premiere. Michael and I were in a band called Bellwether for a while. Yeah, Josh yeah. was in a couple other bands. I mean, even earlier, we were all in like weird ska band, ska cover band amalgamations even. Um, yeah. 
you know, and those were, I think, all the bands, not necessarily the ska band, uh, but there's some of those bands we were like, yeah, we're like, we're writing songs that we, you know, believe in and, and whatever and trying to play shows and get fans and, and all that stuff. And yep, it's the unlikely candidate. It probably should have just stayed to just one joke song and get the hell out. <laughs> Here we are 15 years later talking about it. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> who, uh, yeah. Who had the idea for the artwork of Get Stoked? Honestly, that's, again, talk about not taking things too seriously or letting an inside <laughs> run away with itself. That's probably a collective uh, effort on that that should have been squashed long before <laughs> it got to that uh, that point. But it didn't. And yeah, now that's the thing. And and again, I look at it and we relate to it. And some people are like, why don't you play songs off? And it's like, have you heard it? It's like, would could you see any of those songs working in the general set list? <laughs> yeah, right after Orange Grove, just come out right. with yeah. Fruit Punch. <laughs> honestly say yes to that then i'd question your overall sen sense of writing an entire set you know so yeah um, yeah uh so i don't know um kellogg's never sued you i'm kidding <laughs> oh god uh no uh actually from a from a lawsuit standpoint um <laughs> no we uh we didn't have any trouble there was a band many years ago that uh that i think had a similar name and had you know been approached by somebody and realistically yeah. with a threat that probably didn't hold much legal weight but yeah. i think they were mad about it because they were like well what the fuck how come you guys get to be you know and <laughs> I, the answer is i don't know i the, the answer is i'm sorry i'm not sorry like we we didn't yeah. gonna be a thing and at this point i don't know that's um that's also not me challenging anybody to say anything but so I, I, so you weren't scared and you weren't sorry <laughs> We wouldn't say that. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's pretty much common knowledge that The Upsides was written when Dan was depressed and constantly listening to sad songs. What did it take as a band to lighten the mood and make it a real debut record that put, on, put the band on the map and still loves it up to this day? Yeah. I mean, just like any other uh, of our records, I think you see a progression and evolution of where we are in snapshot of where we are in our lives you know that it kind of mirrors and through the stories that, that dan tells in the lyrics and and upsides was no different i think that was a record and that was the first time we were trying to put together a cohesive batch of songs based on the things we were living through the times we were living through and and um you know the lens that uh you view things through at that age and uh yeah upsides is no different i mean you know it's funny too where some you know some of those songs in the subject matter and especially as the records go on gets a little heavier life gets heavier right you know um so there you know there's there's no secret to that uh you know sometimes uh it's it's as simple as that and the, the things you think about and the challenge you face get a little bit more complex um so the music and lyrics and stories and everything kind of did as well. But with Upsides, I think, you know, we were still pretty young. We had done, a, a you know, some touring, done a couple full U.S. runs. And so I think it was all still very new to us, though, you know, getting out on the road and especially right right when Upsides came out, uh, where we were we were excited and still had that like that youthful zest, if you will. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, so it's like you get in the van and you're just like, you know, driving through the desert. The AC doesn't work. You're sweating it out. Everybody's in their underwear. Like it's <laughs> a gross scenario. Um, the mood lightens itself a little bit, you know, so yeah. it, it was it was pretty easy for us anyway to n not 
let things run away and take too serious. Cause you, I felt like you always had that humbling moment where you're just like, you know, um, the second you're just like, Oh my God, we're like crushing it. We're about to ascend, you know? And then you're just like, yeah, but I'm still peeing on the side of the road in Joshua tree and, you know, yeah. uh, living in a van, you know, in a van sleeping on a baby mattress, like, yeah. you know, um, so there was, there was, I think a good balance from all that. Yeah. I like how in a uh, Melrose diner that there was like a raw WWE spoof, uh, which of you guys in the band are wrestling fans? Uh, myself and dan uh definitely were actually so i i we kind of both lost touch with it and i think like early early on you know when when we started touring maybe probably upsides era and even before um you know kind of got back into the storyline uh i watched it a lot when i was a kid uh actually interestingly enough my old italian grandmother was a big wrestling fan in like (laughs) the 90s uh So I think somehow she passed that along to me. Um, but I had obviously, you know, lo- like lost touch with it for mm-hmm. a decade or two. And we kind of got back um, just into it because it was it's just a it's a soap opera. Right. It's a continuous yeah. storyline, um, you know, just like anything else, for the same reason that I think people, you know, sports fans like love football season. It's because it's something you can count on and something that progresses and something you can go and like root for and be entertained by every weekend uh, on a consistent basis. And I think wrestling was kind of the same thing, especially when we got out on the road and on tour and had some people traveling with us that were also kind of into it. Um, and I think, I think that's probably how it, it came back into our lives for a little bit and have again, fallen off. Don't watch it so much, but we've been lucky enough because of that, um, you know, to, to cross paths with and, and become friends with some of those guys uh, and gals um, that uh, either like are on the pro circuit or, you know, semi-pro uh, circuit or, and either way, insanely talented, the things that they do. Uh, oh yeah. We, um, yeah, definitely. yeah, a couple of years ago, um, I think it was for Dan's birthday. Uh, a bunch of us went up to, um, went up to North Philly and basically did a, uh, like a wrestling coach session, um, with some, with some like pro wrestlers at an, at an indie <laughs> ring, uh, up there, you know, that kind of taught us the basics of how to take some bumps, like run the ropes and do some stuff. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you all of us walked out of there real fucked up. Uh, oh, no. You would not realize it. Uh, that mat is hard as fuck. It looks oh, yeah. like a little yeah. trampoline. No, imagine getting slammed oh, onto kills. my like it's um, it, like if you fall the wrong way, that was my, that was my big takeaway from that. I was like, I can't even like run and pretend to get clotheslined without hurting myself. And these dudes, like all of a sudden, everything, the acrobatic elements of this stuff where I'm just like, that dude pretty much just like land landed like flat on his back from like 20 feet up doing that moonsault and like botching it or whatever. I'm just like, I have no idea how I haven't seen way more tragedy uh, in this. And it, I mean, it just goes to goes to speak to the professionalism of them, really. It's that, you know, and and so the conversations that we've had, too, are really cool. And I think getting to know them personally, some of them has been interesting, too, because the like the travel element of uh, of that circuit, um, and especially on the professional level, in a lot of weird ways, mirrors the loneliness of being in a touring band. And especially early on, some of these you wouldn't think, but like some of these dudes, uh, are just getting in a, in a rental car and driving from one city to the next. And then you're in a hotel and yeah, you have like a couple other friends, but it also like even us, like 
there have always been at least six of us, if not more, considering like uh, crew and, and TM. So it's like that's even sometimes lonelier for them um, in, in some strange ways. Uh, and learning that and like kind of bonding over some of that uh, was also really interesting and in, in finding out those parallels between the two, uh, the two yeah. worlds. So, yeah. So on the subject of Melrose Diner, I heard you guys don't really like that place. Is that true? Honestly, I don't think I've ever eaten there. Yeah, I just remember Dan saying at the Philly shows, he was like, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It, that was not in my neighborhood. That's not where I live. Uh, okay. I can honestly say, I mean, I know of it and, you know, know where it is. But I don't think I ever ate there. So I don't Hilarious. know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Dan has stated that suburbia was somewhat of a grueling process to make and that he was throwing up in the booth and that you all had to do many takes to reach completion. But do you think Steve Evitz being so hard on you guys made you better musicians? And would you consider you or anyone in the band a perfectionist? First of all, I'd just like to stop and uh, circle back to the phrase, many takes to reach completion. That was maybe, um, that's some low hanging fruit there. But for a second, I was like, that's a, fr that's a way that I've never heard it <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, laid out before. Um, yeah, it was, no, it was definitely grueling. And again, we were, you know, we were still pretty young at that time and still learning how to make records on a professional level. And yeah. Steve is somebody that uh, if you, if anybody knows about his discography and the career that he's had, he works with an incredible amount of extremely proficient uh, musicians uh, from guitar players to drummers and a lot of like the technical metal and hard rock world. And, and punk he did, world. he did every time I die is the big dirty. Uh a ton of Dillinger Escape Plan records, which if anybody yep. knows that band, try to wrap your head around what recording those guys uh, is like, you know. Um, and Snapcase. He did Snapcase. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, he put us to work, you know, uh, and and we love him for it, right? Uh, it, it made all of us, every time we, we did a record, um, and specifically Suburbia being the first that we did with him, I think we came out of that process exponentially better at our instruments and understanding the concept and what it really takes to put down incredibly convincing and solid performances to to make a record on a higher level you know he was somebody who's like I don't want to like edit the fuck out of this shit he's just like I want you know I, he came up doing records the real way like the non pro tools way you know um and I think that's something that now has been baked into the ethos of our band is being able to like make sure that it translates live that we can nail it live and every record we do with him we I'm sure come out came out even tighter uh you can definitely ask Michael that I mean he tracking drums and there's a lot of fast stuff. There's a lot of drumming on that record. Oh, uh, yeah. And he would come, he would come back to the house after those sessions when they started getting in the weeds with, with tracking drums at the yeah. start of it. And he would be just like bruised up, bloody <laughs> battered, like, like blisters, calloused and just exhausted. Like you saw it on his face. And at the end of it, when he was done tracking, he was like, I, I, he's like, I don't think I've ever been a better drummer. And now he had this like thirst where he's like, Oh, I like, I'm going to, I can like turn this up, like, you know, um, and, and I think that's really important with whatever you do is, is having somebody to push you, to, to push you and also help you check in and understand where you really sit in the process mm -hmm. and the hierarchy, you know, and we were like, oh, there's a lot of work that can be done. We thought we like, we didn't think we sucked, but it eh, turns out 
there's some improvement here that we, <laughs> we made, you know? Um, and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we got that opportunity. A lot of people probably don't get that opportunity and mm-hmm. um, we're very lucky for it. And I think it, it has a lot to do with probably where we are now and how our live show comes off too. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So how important is feedback from your peers been to you? How did it help with the band's success once you guys got the ball rolling? Huh? Well, I mean, feedback's crucial to any creative process, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but also not letting it uh, inform or overtake or dictate where like your true taste as a musician or, or as a songwriter goes. Uh, that, that's been a delicate balance that we've always tried to, you know, we first and foremost, we make music that we want to listen to uh, and that and always be that our guide. And, but we also, like you said, try to challenge ourselves. And sometimes in, ch- in doing that, you will stretch slightly outside the bounds of what your entire hundred percent of your fan base really likes, you know? Um, and interestingly enough, the, you know, the bigger we got as a band, you know, the, the further the reaches of your fan base stretch and you have some people come into your community and your world that like the band for this one really specific thing, you know, and then other people that are like, nah, I like, you know, I, I like the huge like wall of sound, like bangers and like the fat, like super fast skate punk stuff. And then others like, no, nah, I like the soft, sensitive, emotional stuff. <laughs> you know? um, and then there, you know, a lot of people appreciate and we tr- we as a band try to deliver that balance. But sometimes we we go about trying to push out stuff and realize that, you know, not in an intent to alienate people, but just as like a thing to be like, hey, we don't want to just keep writing exactly something new, yeah. for you um we want you to to kind of grow with us so mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i guess that's probably uh the easiest way to say it and i like that because every album it really is different it's its own sound pretty much too so it's cool to be able to go back to you know whichever one you, your your favorite is but you know i like seeing the progression for sure yeah so there's not much to say about the greatest generation as that is a near perfect album for you guys with not much necessary change but I'm just curious, how did you guys go about constructing the I just want to sell out my funeral song? Uh, yes, funeral. Um, have great, gotten great. a lot of uh, a lot of comments and questions about this recently. You That's know, your free bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, geez. I don't know how to take that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I I guess the the easy answer is that we've always been a band that kind of calls back or loves the idea of of bands calling back and and referring to uh, themes and and pulling from other themes. Uh, Anybody that's been with us for a while or has listened to multiple albums will probably hear a few of those little like Easter eggs and callbacks. Uh, And I think that song for us, because of the album and and the weight that it was carrying – it uh it felt like we had an opportunity to kind of do that you know and we didn't we weren't sure what that would necessarily look like uh but we knew you know it might be a pretty ambitious task to set out on but we were like hey if we really start to get into it and it feels too far off the deep end or whatever then fine but at least we tried and yeah i mean you started i started like kind of looking back and taking like the musical moments that i thought hit really hard and also like the lyrical stuff that that tied some things into it and it was it was definitely a back and forth of how to kind of curate that flow and energy but it was a a super fun project and it seems like for a seven minute song um that you know could be very hateable for the current attention span of a lot of a lot of fans uh it seemed to have done okay by us and i think people got it and 
appreciated the ambition behind it. Hopefully, I, but that I'm, was a major collaborative some... effort, though, right? I mean, like... yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's no way it, it wasn't even just by the nature of the fact that uh, you know certain themes from each one were all um, you know spawned from different places and different uh, mm-hmm. and different you know inspirations and you know throughout those songs, right? So even one part from a song might have come from one person or one idea and then the idea directly after it or that's kind of layered on top may have come from a different place and a different person you know Mm -hmm. so in that way yeah i mean it's it was wholly collaborative of course yeah for passing through a screen door uh i wanted to know like what was the connection uh with all the footage from the 50s was it like in regards to like the massive changes from that era compared to today well i think uh the easiest way uh or the easiest explanation is just that I think typically that World War II generation is referred to as the greatest generation in a lot of uh, literature and just that time period. So I think it's just reverential of the title in and of itself and how that relates to, you know, where, how we were putting our spin on it in that way. And, and some of the ideas that Dan put forth in the lyrics. So yeah, that's, you know, that's where the imagery came from. It's conjuring up some, you know, some stuff that, uh, that related to that, that idea, you know? All right. Sweet. No Closer to Heaven sounded like a tough album to finish as everyone wanted their input to be heard, which made the mix get a little sloppy in the process before the obvious tweaking to fix it all. How has this made how, how has this made things difficult with all the members wanting their role realized? And how did you guys overcome this for Sister Cities? Hmm. Uh, interesting. Yeah, so uh, the No Closer to Heaven mix thing is an interesting one. Um, we had someone who... Uh, I, I highly respect um, and someone that's an incredible, incredible um, asset to the music community, especially the Philly music community. In Absolutely. Bill Niccolo. And I think uh, a lot of that, that was, we learned a lot of valuable lessons as we do on every record, but with that one, um, you know, it maybe comes down to communicating ideas and, and figuring out for us what we really wanted. And that was the only record that we actually ended up doing attended mix sessions where we were in the room. And I think it's very easy to get really excited uh, when you're in the room, you turn up the mains loud and you're like, cool, yeah, let's go through and, you know, do some some subtle tweaks and automation stuff. Um, but again, you know, what I can say to that is that was the only record that we were in the room, you know, listening and, and making final decisions. Whereas every other record, we've all been on cans or the systems, whether it's at home or on tour, that we're used to, that we're familiar with. And um, as a as an engineer and producer, and uh, and and from a mixing standpoint, I think that's that's the first thing that I start to preach is like, listen, you don't have to go out and buy two thousand dollar headphones. Like, yeah. just get like a decent enough pair which most people probably have anyway whether it's for gaming or whatever start there because you know what music sounds like which is ultimately the biggest uh i think the biggest hurdle is to have that familiarity whether it's if you're an engineer and you have a studio for us it's our room it's you know we went uh we jumped through a lot of hoops to construct a really even balanced environment through treatment um dimensions and and eq um modules but like that was i think that was i think maybe part of that is that we were making decisions in a way on the band the whole band was there um you know but we weren't really hearing things on 
uh, the, we weren't really listening to final mixes the way we've, you know, had before that and, and have since then. So I think that has, uh, a large part to play in it. Not necessarily that, uh, Phil is not in any way a talented, uh, engineer. And, uh, I think, I mean, his work obviously speaks for itself. It has done very, uh, very big things clearly for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's maybe the, the biggest thing to pull out of there. And we still all love that record, obviously. And for me too, um, you know, living in both of those roles, you know, being a, a band member and a songwriter, but now also seeing, um, you know, the very opinionated side of how things turn out sonically and, you know, what they're trying to stack up against, um, I think uh, I would like to believe that all like mixed decisions uh, aside that the songs themselves at their core will still translate for people. And even though people are like, well, I don't know if I love the way this record sounds versus record. It's like, that's going to happen with any band, with anybody. It's all subjective. Right. Um, But I think how people relate to the songs and ultimately whether or not they feel what we are trying to convey with them, Mm -hmm. I would hope that that would still poke through a mix that they, you know, maybe is not their favorite so in that way and that record is probably one of my favorites because i think the songs did things that that really illuminated a whole new era for our band um so i i I found a place to not get lost in the weeds about oh man what if we mix this what if we mix this and if anything being in a band for 15 years it will teach you one thing to let go of the what ifs you know um because there's there's not there's no reason it's like cool we'll learn from it and maybe try new things Maybe we won't do attended mix sessions in a room that we're not familiar with, you know? Um, so when right. it comes to like feedback from fans, then do you, do you welcome that in or do you try to stay away from it um, like in terms of reading reviews when it comes yeah. out like an album? No, I don't do a lot of that anymore. Honestly. Uh, there was a time when I was like excited when I was like, Oh my God, yeah. what are people saying on absolute punk? Holy yeah. shit, crazy. <laughs> now, it's not that I don't care, you know? Um, it's, it's just that, uh, you can't change anything. Right. So I think, um, who was it? Um, I think it's Jeff Rickley, uh, in in an old interview talks about this thing. And we, uh, have now become firm believers about this idea. And I think as an artist of any kind, whether it's like in whatever medium, you know, if it's visual art, um, music, uh, for you, film, TV, right. You know, you're all kind of crafting stories and, or, and putting ideas out there in varying degrees of abstract. Right. Um, so I think the way we've started to look at that is that the second you release an album or song or, you know, finish a painting and let it go, it goes in a gallery or, you know, goes online, a movie, an episode of something, right? The second it gets released to the public, it's kind of no longer yours. Um, it's, uh, it kind of ends that period after the creation of it and, uh, between the creation of it and you finished it, have the masters back. And when it gets released, um, where that's the only time it's really like yours, you know, as, as an artist, um, where you can like have that feedback, that relationship with it. Cause once it goes out to people, the whole point of, of any art or music is to conjure up a reaction, right? So that reaction is more the art. And so, yeah, sure. That is kind of the feedback that's there. And so we are aware of that because that is the goal that you're hoping it resonates with people and seeing how it resonates, um, 
you know, but I think for us trying to understand that it's not going to resonate the same with everybody and that's okay. And that's actually probably better because that means that we're still kind of being honest and trying to put something authentic out and not trying to make something that, you know, cast the widest net, you know, it's, and I think that's okay. And I think all the bands that we've grown up uh, listening to and loving, I think they all, they all found a way to continue doing that, you know? So the songs on sister cities were written directly from pieces of Dan's tour journals. How did this idea come to fruition and how different was the writing process and how, how did all the interconnection of all the different areas and cities feed the overall message? Yeah, I think, uh, the easiest way to describe that is we were kind of taking snapshots of areas and locations. And then, you know, he would come to us with ideas, you know, some that he, like he said, that he had already had from journaling while on tour and while traveling. And, you know, we would be tasked with kind of coming up with something that, that felt like it fit the vibe, the location, the imagery for it. So it was a really cool exercise for, uh, for us musically in that sense. And then, you know, tying all of those themes together in a way, you know, obviously that was a lot of, uh, lyrically, but then also understanding, you know, trying to, to put each little story and vignette, uh, on a, on a big grand scale and, and see how they fit together and, and kind of tie it all together with, you know, the way we open a record and close a record, which is pretty, you know, typical wonder years as well. So, yeah. And you guys made a whole picture book for the release. How did you enjoy the overall reception to that? That's awesome. I think that's become some of my favorite stuff. Even we just with the uh with the suburbia um anniversary release that we just did, um uh I uh I loved seeing everyone's reaction when they were maybe surprised with some of the the footage that we were able to conjure up in some of the photos. And it's uh, selfishly awesome for me because it's such a walk down memory lane to just look and be like, Holy shit, we were so young, you know? Um, so I, I love it and get a, and get a kick out of it and a lot of fulfillment, um, and a lot of enjoyment at that capacity. And then seeing other people really enjoy it too. We're a band that always wants to try to give as much to our fans, not just, um, you know, in music, but also in making sure they understand how much we appreciate the support that they give us. So anytime we put something like that out uh, and the sister cities book was a huge undertaking to sort through hundreds of thousands of photos. Um, so it was all worth it to see how it came together for sure. Yeah. When that upside suburbia re-release uh, set came, came out, I was actually at the tire shop cause my tire busted and then I had to wait on, get, on buying it. Cause obviously I didn't have too much money at the time. So that kind of sucked. <laughs> uh, well, you mean you couldn't uh, use the right, just glue all four records together and use that as a, as a donut or. <laughs> That's true. I probably could have. <laughs> um, I personally really enjoyed what you guys did with the burst and decay releases. What was it like stripping down those songs and giving them a new life? And who, who came up with that idea? Uh, I think, I mean, it was, you know, a collective idea. We always bounce stuff around like that and we always do yeah. always done in stores. Um, you know, where it's, we end up kind of treating songs like that, or, you know, the guitar players will get together and be like, okay, how do we translate this to make it work, you know, on 
three unplugged acoustics, you know, and whatever. And some of those, it's like, you will have a PA, some you won't. So you got to really think dynamically about the song and, and figure out how it's going to, how it's going to work in that environment. So that's, I think the catalyst of, since we had been doing that and we had come up with a few, like, okay, we're going to do the, the in-store version of local man, or we're going to do the, you know, whatever. Um, so that was kind of the starting point and the stepping stone for that. And then we're like, well, what if we kind of did that, you know, and, and took, a larger amount of time and really got in there. And, and I loved that process and breaking stuff down. That for me is, especially at this point, it's it's such a cool opportunity to take a look at what you've already written and be like, well, how does, how would me redo this now? You know, yeah, um, that's very cool. What we ended up, um, ended up with for the the two songs, Break, Listen, Out on My Feet that came out uh, as part of that anniversary box set uh, to commemorate it, uh, where they were ideas that we had lying around from that time period. And then our older selves got a chance to step in the um, time machine and go back and finish those songs, but with everything we've learned in the last decade. So uh, so it's awesome. And Burst and Decay is in, in a lot of ways uh, a similar a similar process, yeah. So was Breakless and Out of My Feet, was that sort of like a boredom project during COVID, the COVID lull or was this a plan that you guys set forth for a while? We had them. And I think, you know, when you when you write a lot and you get up, you know, uh, up to like, you know, over like you get beyond the like one or two albums of material, you have a lot of stuff that you leave on the cutting board, even if it's just little fragments or whatever. And so these were two that I think we probably like stumbled back across just in general, a couple times mining through, you know, what things are left, um, you know, in the vault. And I think they were always two that, that Dan liked, but, um, but never, yeah, never really knew what to do with and never were like, well, I don't know if it fits on yeah, you know, this record or doesn't fit into the theme or the vibe or whatever. So, I think this was an opportunity to resurrect those because of the nature of the re-release and the anniversary. So it was in that way, it felt like they, they really fit because of how they were, uh, how they were spawned and when they were spawned. So it was a, a cool opportunity to, to pull them out for that. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably why um, they came back up at this time. So in the video for out on my feet, you guys were able to bring back the real life Hank mascot for his long-awaited return, I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that the costume was in bad shape. Who was holding on to it all this time, and who fixed it up? Uh, it's definitely not in good shape. That's for sure. I can yeah. tell you that much firsthand. Um, but yeah. I will say, um, give a quick shout-out. Uh, my old college roommate, her sister, was actually um, in a, as actually a fashion major, and we actually we actually tasked her uh we we're like hey do you think there's like a chance she's actually the one that created that um that for us many years ago and to her credit for you know for just kind of taking a stab at it and figuring it out uh that thing has survived as you saw so um you know even though we maybe haven't treated it as nicely as it would like to be having you know made appearances on on tours and stuff like that and and mm -hmm. being worn by way too many sweaty grown men um who wore it on the suburbia cover uh who's in that that's josh yeah oh, okay yeah cat's nice. out of the bag josh's out of the bag uh <laughs> and uh yeah so it, i mean it did hold up really well so she you know she did a good job but it's yeah pretty treacherous the way it's in there um and put together but i'll uh, i'll spare you all the gory details <laughs> <laughs> so who came up with the idea for hank and was it meant to be a marketing ploy if so it worked yeah 
you know, I'm sure it wasn't like a marketing ploy. I'm sure it was, <laughs> I know. you know, something. Well, uh, so I, I'll say this, because if you look at, um, you know, early seven inches, uh, a friend of ours, a, a great artist um, out of Philly named James Heimer uh, had created some of that early stuff in his style that we really liked. And okay. the first seven inch cover that I think he did for us was, uh, a group of pigeons all dressed up with a trench coat stealing a bike um <laughs> okay he was kind of the first one that i think brought like the pigeon idea into the fold and then we we're like man that's so just perfect when it comes to philly it's like it's so the bird that everybody fucking hates but it's still <laughs> bite of all of it kind of just thrives in the city yeah. um and we were like, man, that kind of, it kind of almost feels like the scrappiness that, you know, we saw in ourselves where it's just like, yeah, we're not always like the cool band or, you know, or whatever, but like, we're still going to make these fucking songs and go out and, and play the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess that was kind of where we were like, well, why don't we like take one of those like pigeon-esque uh, figures? And, and we asked him, we were like, Hey, can you like, whatever. And then I think it might've been me. Um, I forget, I honestly forget this stuff, but, uh, yeah. where we were like, we, we should like name it. And then we were like, well, what's like a cool, like very Philly, like blue collar, like my grandfather's name kind of thing. And yeah. I guess that's, that's where Hank got thrown out. Um, yeah. sure. You know, <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it, he's taken on a life of his own. Congrats on being one of the best marketed bands on the planet from merch designs to stellar VIP tour packages. You guys really know how to sell your product. How do you come up with fresh ideas to always keep things exciting for the fans? Uh, well, thank you. Um, that means Absolutely. a lot. And I, yeah, I, I would hope that, um, that everybody else feels that, uh, that same way because we, yeah, we do put a lot of time and effort into it. Of course. Um, and I think we, really we try to, we try to always do our best to kind of over deliver, uh, and under promise, so to speak, if you want to talk about like marketing, but, um, you know, it's really, it really comes down to us trying to really keep in mind what things we think our fans would like to see, would like to hear about from us and how we can serve that in some way. And also what things they haven't seen from some of their favorite bands before, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to get a little creative with that, whether it's the VIP stuff or even just, you know, merchandise designs or releases and things that we think, um, make it a little extra special, uh, for yeah. people that it's not the same old rinse repeat of cool. Here's another shirt, which, you yeah. know, there's, there is an artistry in that in yeah. like, you know, releasing, uh, you know, even sometimes looking at yourself as, and remembering that, first and foremost and above all we look at ourselves as musicians and you know to create music for people to listen to but um you know it's also the way we make a living and Mm -hmm. and a lot of that does play into uh having a you know pretty much a, a line of of merchandise and design uh assets that go along with those things you know that that reinforce what we're trying to to put across so yeah we put a lot of thought into it um and i appreciate um those those kind words from you about it of course yeah no i love how you guys do the acoustic set with the vip package and you get to like take a picture with all the fans i think that's super cool yeah thank you so how do you keep the balance with the band in your personal life what are your go-tos to center yourself and keep yourself humble on a daily basis with all the hard work you put in the music 
Yeah. Uh, well, in the age of COVID, it's been at 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 the very least a daily walk. You know, uh, yeah, I listen yeah. to a lot of podcasts, uh, obviously, and now oh, this yeah. one. Um, and uh, I think that's kept me um, kept me grounded and inspired listening to other creatives, other people, and, and even then kind of going outside the sphere of music to, to get a couple of really good podcasts that are that keep me uh, tethered to the outside world so that it's not just like create and, you know, mine all of my energy and bandwidth to, you know, produce things. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, taken a back seat, especially this winter because gyms have been closed and everything, but on tour, especially, um, in past years, uh, trying to keep myself active and, and moving. Um, I'd gotten into running uh, a pretty decent bit, which if you asked high school, me, Oh, you run. That's sick. Was pretty, uh, pretty portly and overweight. Um, well actually <laughs> at, at the current time, I don't, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. but as the weather gets nicer, gyms get back. Uh, yeah, that's, that's been something that I, I would never have imagined, I would have stuck with because as a kid, so horribly out of shape that, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was like, this is the last thing I, why would anybody want to do this? It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I do find a, a nice clarity to it and release putting on a, the right record or the right podcast. Um, I think there's like a, a refocusing and recentering where it actually allows me to kind of either think really clearly, um, or it's like the, you know, the, equivalent of like the perfect like the shower idea the light bulb that goes on when you're you know oh, when yeah. you're <laughs> down and you're finally not like thinking thinking about yeah. you know, the pressure of having to come up with something uh so i think running does that and kind of you know just keeps the blood flowing um yeah. and gets you know especially in a time like now getting gets you out of the house for an hour which is important so <laughs> that that helps but either on tour or not and uh and yeah i mean you know just staying uh staying motivated and uh and grounded and engaged and inspired by by people around you you know i've been doing um some really cool fun stuff um outside of even just like remotely working with bands and artists and producing and and even doing a bit of uh a bit of like kind of coaching and almost like mentoring of of uh and getting some feedback and seeing their ideas and and how other people work it it's fun for me because it, it re-inspires me because you never know what you're going to get. And no one person has all of the answers. So much of creativity is sub subjective and so much of, um, you know, music in the, in the modern era is kind of, you know, evolving so quickly. Uh, I think that's, that's fun for me and helps me stay humble to be like, honestly, I wouldn't never had that idea. That's a good, that's a good fucking idea, you know? Um, so I try to go out and find that and, uh, and engage with that as much as possible too. Yeah, for sure. Hell yeah. So I've got a couple more like fun questions and then we have like a little speed round if that's okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, being mindful of the time. Uh, okay. Weirdest fan interaction you or any of the other members have had. Ooh, I hear a lot of people get stalked. Is that like a thing? We've been lucky. I don't think we've ever been, um, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I also don't want to say it in like, I know. Like, you whatever. Be a bit, um, no, I honestly, I will say um, within reason, a lot of our, our fans are usually pretty respectful. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there have been times where just, you know, everybody's like 
super excited and overstep a little bit or kind of acting out of character just because they're uh, extra enthusiastic, which, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but also understanding that for any band or musician, you know, yeah. you're out on the road. Sometimes, you know, you're allowed to have bad days too. Uh, and sometimes it's a little much and that can very quickly get into some weird positions, which you never want, but sometimes you have to just be like, listen, you, you got to back up for a second. I appreciate the enthusiasm, but you got to back up as far as specific occurrences or stories. I, I can't remember anything luckily that's too jarring. Okay. Um, so, uh, so sorry if I don't have uh, a really, no worries. That's a good thing. Yeah. There. Um, but yeah, I I mean, every band says it that, Oh, our fans are the best, but like we say it and we truly mean it because for that exact reason, it's like everybody, they're just like, they're sweethearts and are just like, man, you, you guys are amazing. Like, you know, and it's always a good energy at your shows too. everyone's talking to each other before the show. Yeah. And we're really, I mean, we're really proud of that fact and, and love, you know, fostering that and, and, um, and encouraging that in any way we can. And obviously very adamant about making our shows as safe and comfortable of an environment for everybody involved as well as it is a big thing for us. But yeah, yeah, so uh, there haven't been too many of that, but of course, you know, you do anything long enough, there's going to be, um, you know, some things thrown at you that you don't expect. So. So I'm honored to tell you that at the 10th anniversary shows in Philly, I went to all three. It was amazing. Great job. Uh, I was the very first person to crowd surf when you guys hit the stage for night one. And I was also the very first person to get dropped by security. Oh, no. I literally went up right on the first song and they dropped me on like my head. <laughs> uh, yeah. The um, the security thing is uh, is an ongoing thing. It's, you know. Uh, just honestly just like with the fans things so most of them um and there's a lot of them that really care about what they're doing and it's it's just you know every every couple shows (laughs) you get some guys that are just phoning it in or especially you know we've been on tours where we're playing early in the bill they're not expecting like a large reaction and so they're not ready for it and we do our best too to kind of brief security and be and get on the same page you know sometimes you know it's a very physical almost combat scenario down there uh with everybody like on the floor so you can imagine you know not not in any way saying that uh, some unfavorable actions or lack of actions are justified, but sometimes frustrations and tensions get boiled over and we're the only ones that see it from our vantage point. And, you know, it's, it's for us to let any of that go by. So yes, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I can (laughs) say, Oh no, it was awesome. I loved it. You're not the only one that has been dropped (laughs) by security. And because of that, we try so hard uh, to make it a point at every show to make sure that um the head of security and everybody know exactly yeah. what we're looking for and and how to keep people safe and and do a, a good job the right way so no i'm just i'm not bummed that i got dropped i'm just bummed that they lost that that drone footage ah uh, i know well yeah. yeah yeah it would have um yeah i mean we still have some of that footage laying around actually i think i just found like a, a, a cell phone video oh hell yeah recently that i i, I threw up on on my Instagram, um, of that. So that was like a cool thing where every, you know, occasionally I'll see, um, things crop back up in like the time, time loop stuff. But, um, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you got up. <laughs> there and you're okay. Oh, that was a great weekend, dude. I loved it. 
So on, on July 5th, 2005, you guys had your first practice and you wrote the song Buzz Aldrin, the poster boy for second place. Oh, what man. more can you tell us about that day? Probably uh, remember that. I mean, 16 uh, years ago. Yeah, we were, we were at, uh, at Michael's, mm-hmm. in Michael's parents' basement, uh, where Michael and I's previous bands had practice. Yeah. Um, I know um, we had talked about having a friend of another friend of ours, Mike, at the time come over. Uh, I guess he was unavailable. Um, Matt Brash, uh, I think, uh, came came into play. So that's how uh, that portion of the lineup uh, yeah. came to be. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, again, like I said, we, we weren't taking it too seriously, which was nice. Yeah. I, things like, you know, there was a micro Korg involved and I think things <laughs> like, uh, you know, motion city who was, who was, you yeah. know, hell yeah. Coming up and, and big at the time that, that name was probably thrown around as like a, a catalyst for like a, maybe something like this, you know, that actually um, makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't think anything, blur. <laughs> anything too groundbreaking happened, you know, because okay. it wasn't for a couple years until we like started trying to like, you know, really give it some, uh, some serious thought on a yeah. large level. Yeah. So tell us about your coaching sessions. How can somebody book a session with you? Yeah. Well, uh, so our, the studio website, truelevelstudio.com, uh, is an easy enough way. There's a, uh, a tab on there for the artist development stuff. Um, and just like a quick, um, form you can submit and I'll get back to you. I mean, honestly, we're kind of in the era of just like, or hit me up on Instagram (laughs) or through my website, which is just caseycavalier.com. Uh, it comes in different ways. Sometimes, like I said, a lot, you know, the, the origin of it was really, um, was really kind of born out of, bands and, and artists, uh, that I was already working with at the studio making music with. Um, and then once the music was finished up, you know, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of, you know, the, the next progression of like, they would come back and be like, Hey, I've got a question about this, or what are your thoughts on how to release this? Or, you know, how can we kind of brand this a little better or, you know, anything like that. So eventually I just kind of started structuring it out by like, all right, well come in, you know, before the next session, you know, or after the next session, we'll, stay an extra hour and you know we'll kind of talk through some some strategies and and see what advice uh you know i can lend and then when the pandemic hit i was like well that's i can't necessarily do the studio stuff and be there in the studio with clients right now but i can do that portion of it remotely um Mm -hmm. you know and yeah i've been doing it uh in that in that regard for over a year now and it's been awesome you know to see a, a couple um, a couple bands, even, uh, you know, how they've grown over the entire year and where they've gone, just like from a thought process and understanding who they are and who they want to be and, and making the music and, and everything in between and releasing it. So it's exciting and it's, um, it's kind of gearing up, but yeah, if anybody's interested in that regard, yeah, that's, uh, you can hit me up on any one of those or just message me on Instagram and, and we can, uh, you know, set up a time to chat and, and explain mm-hmm. more about it and see, you know, see if there's a way to help, you know? So what's your favorite of all the riffs you've written for the, the wonder years? Ooh, what's the one, Ooh. you know, I, uh, I was just thinking about this actually. So 
uh, Washington Square Park comes to mind. And I was just about to say that. Maybe only because uh, <laughs> I was just talking about uh, touring in Europe with somebody and, you know, talking about like strange crowd reactions, <laughs> of which the UK and Europe definitely far and away have the most unique uh uh, general collective group reactions, I think, um, that have caught us off guard, uh, in a good way, um, over the years. Uh, but somewhere in mainland Europe, one crowd, um, but overall, like, I think, um, it's happened more than once, which is why it's, um, why it sticks out where the beginning of that song obviously has the hits and starts out with that riff and, uh, you know, most crowds you like, okay, cool. This is the sing along part. They know the chorus, they know this lyric, they sing along. That was the first time that I had heard an entire crowd sing a riff, uh, maybe louder than the actual riff. Um, so that was an interesting one and stuck with me and just kind of looked around and be like, is, are they singing the riff right now? Like, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> as you can imagine, it's kind of, it's a, it's a quick one. So it's kind of incoherent too. If you have like, you know, hundreds of people singing it all at once, um, yeah. it kind of becomes a blur, but I think that's, we are like, no, that's what they're singing that riff. Like, um, that's funny. So that was very funny. So that's probably, uh, just because it led to that, um, that live show aspect probably. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. Biggest goals for 2021, and we'll do the speed round. Ooh, uh, I'm just curious. What's what's on your mind? Yeah, well, I'd love to. Like I said, I'd love to um, continue growing the the coaching stuff that I'm doing because that's been so crazy, illuminating, and fulfilling for me to to uh, to find a way like that to like to give back and take what I've learned and uh, the gifts that I've kind of been given from people on the way up that have taken time with me and, and, and showed me the ropes and, and lent some perspective and feedback um, and kind of pass that forward uh, on, on the side of wonder years uh, as well as I want to keep making music um, anywhere and everywhere as travel starts to be a little easier. Uh, obviously um, I'm not going to get into specifics, but wonder years as always has some, some pretty uh, interesting music making goals for the year, um, which Can't I'm wait. very excited about. Um, and in the midst of that, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to continue like producing and working with some cool stuff. Even in the last couple months, uh, I've started working with a handful of artists that stylistically really um, run the the genre spectrum. Yeah. So uh, just kind of welcoming anything and everything. I mean, obviously my heart lies with a lot of the punk stuff and, um, you know, the big rock guitar based emo stuff. So I'm always here to have a conversation with a band that, that wants to explore that and, and grow, um, grow that side of themselves but also just, you know, anything from like the super pop world all the way, even before we logged on, I was, you know, listening to Bieber's new album and, uh, <laughs> and everything in that world. I just like, I'm such, not only do I love a good song, uh, first and foremost, but I, I am so, uh, especially spending time making music, engineering stuff, and then, and, um, working in the, the post-production and mixing capacity of music making, uh, has given me such, uh, such an extended love and appreciation for a lot of modern pop music and the techniques and where technology has allowed that to go. So I, I'd love a, a 2021 to see what kind of stuff comes my way. So if anybody has a project like that or wants to get weird, I am super here to uh, make something 
real different as well. So that, you know, that's a goal and, and just make as much music as I can, both as from myself and, and with other people and collaborating in that way. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot. I have, there's some other stuff, but I'm trying also not to spread myself too thin because yeah. I have some other things, but are at the very, um, very, very early stages. So mm -hmm. it's not even worth uh, throwing them in the mix just yet, but, uh, but all very exciting stuff and feel very optimistic about this year as opposed to the one that is in the rear view <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna forget about this last year well i'm looking forward to it that's really sick you got a lot of shit coming up so here's a little speed round okay. bunch of bullshit questions uh favorite the wonder years song favorite the wonder years song yeah i don't know why i even put it like that she just said wonder years. wonder years um song damn uh, you know and i'm sure i've been asked this a thousand times and it somehow never and I'm somehow always frozen by it. I think, cause I, yeah. I probably overthink it, but um, going with, uh, going with a gut reaction, probably um, I, I really do love there, there. <laughs> However, I will say I was, I was talking about this with a band that I worked with recently. Um, yeah. And I really love uh, the bluest things on earth. So if we're oh, talking about so playing good. a song live, um, I know that's not, not always one that gets a lot of repetition, but yeah. I love playing that song live. I really yeah. do it. So if, if we're judging it by that merit, maybe that one. Yeah. That honestly might be my favorite off and no closer for sure. I that's love cool. That I feel like, yeah, I'm hearing a lot of people yeah. say recently i don't know yeah, i mean cardinals is great too but i mean bluest is just its own thing i love that yeah all right best place to get a philly cheesesteak in philadelphia Ooh, honestly recently uh joe's soda shop which i live in fishtown and that's one of the only places in the city that they have a dope vegan cheesesteak so my girlfriend is vegan um so that's actually amazing that they offer that and uh if i ever leave philly i will highly miss having that in such close proximity outside of that uh the like age old Pat's Geno's debate. Uh, I'd be more of a Pat's guy, but also uh, some questionable, um, you know, like signage on there. That's, uh, that seems a little outdated in terms of like, you got to speak English, you know, know your order. It's like, it feels a little threatening, uh, <laughs> you know, to a certain degree, but, um, but that the Pat's cheesesteak is, is certainly the one I prefer over the Geno's if we, if we have to split hairs on it now. Yeah. Favorite movie that thing you do favorite horror movie ooh cabin in the woods best record store ooh, i wanted to say amoeba but also uh, that is i got a bet honestly looney tunes long, where's that one uh long island long island we've done so many um We've done so many in-stores there, almost every album over the years. And the people that work there, the owners, it's just so cool. Such a cool shop and, and the way that they, they go about it. And they really care about the, the fans and people that come out to those and, and patronize the shop. So shout out Looney Tunes and Long Island. Definitely go and support. How is that vintage vinyl one, the one you guys play the acoustic ones at? Also cool. I mean, honestly, at this point, any... Any record store that's still doing in stores like that and trying to, you know, trying to do it right, I, I, I love and I think you get something out of it, um, you know, more so than just going to, you know, the Apple iTunes store, <laughs> um, you know, and using an algorithm to suggest stuff. But yeah, 
you know, it's the time we live in, but I would definitely say uh, Looney Tunes is, is my favorite in terms of the one that we've repeatedly gone back to. Okay. Favorite song off of get stoked. <laughs> is that a pass or uh, do you have a pass button? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah it's okay. Oh, man. Uh, no, you know what? Honestly, I'll say uh, my Geraldine because that was the first song that we, you know, wrote uh, for that was on that album in that sense um, that I like really remember writing and having a lot of good laughs uh, in yeah. the process of writing it. So I'll say my Geraldine lies over the Delaware. Yeah. Fuck route nine. Yes, precisely. Touring, <laughs> touring or recording? At this point uh, in my career, recording. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, yeah, but there's something about touring that it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, who I was, and a lot of things about my life wouldn't be the way they are if I hadn't spent so many years touring. So I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, uh, but I think you know, at this point in my life, I'm way more interested in the recording process um and growing uh from that capacity for sure but uh, you can't take you can't take away the live show element of of what this band does by any means so we will still continue doing that obviously for the foreseeable future (laughs) perfect yeah favorite aaron west and the roaring 20s song Ooh, uh, this is good. And honestly, I know a couple of these because I actually played bass for a UK sh- uh, show randomly uh, years ago. Uh, Cherry Red, I guess. Uh, oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, because, yeah, I had fun specifically playing that one and noodling around. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fender or Gibson? Ooh, I play both, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, uh, oh, damn, this is tough. The first, <laughs> like, real nice guitar i remember getting was a fender strat it was like a net a natural uh maple uh maple wood um maple neck strat uh however the second nice guitar i think i got when i was probably like 16 was a desert burst les paul um studio and that thing has been on probably the most wonder years records um I just pulled it out again for those two tracks last year. Um, that combination with uh, the Marshall Jubilee that I that I play that I've had for years um, and toured with a lot. I don't play lot live. I'm actually playing through a Fender Supersonic, so you can see why. I, like it, you know, the back and forth. You've that's it's almost the yin and the yang of my guitar perspective in a lot of ways. Um, I'll say Fender though, just because I mean. there's like the fender stuff is what's always close by um so uh it's super reliable in that sense and there's nothing like a great fender sounding clean amp as well which the older i get i think i love exploring some of that like kind of really lush uh you know clean and push clean stuff that i think fender is notorious for a lot of a lot of companies can do high gain and humbuckers but something about that uh really really jazzes me up (laughs) never i never personally had a fender i have a gibson last paul and i just got a taylor acoustic beautiful Um, i have a i have a a vintage japanese uh 1985 fender squire strat and the tone just sounds magnificent in it i mean even it's vintage i mean i like the vintage guitars but i mean gibson is great too though i mean i don't want to ever discredit gibson though what's the one what's the one that mike left behind that i have that i I put like the heavy strings on the ltd 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I got one of those to play like code orange and shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean like the ESP stuff, even, you know, it's funny for recording. Um, and I could dive in even further on this. So I'll, I'll cut myself off after this, but, um, yeah, no you know, some of that stuff and like people, I feel like the nowadays, the polarizing conversations, especially in recording and live music are two things. Um, you know, one of them is like real amps versus amp sims, uh, <laughs> And of which I say, there's a time and a place for all. I'm not, you know, let's be realistic and, and make the best out of what we have. Um, and then it's, um, you know, uh, it's the real amps versus fake amps. And then it's kind of this, um, you know, like Evertune versus not Evertune uh, system. For those of you familiar with guitar stuff, it's basically just like, uh, imagine like a robot spring-loaded mechanism that keeps your guitar perfectly intonated and in tune. Um, really? Yeah. So, and, um, and ESP had started putting out guitars with those like proprietary systems and you can oh. get them put in existing guitars, but we have one or two as wonder your stuff. It's like, that is just like anything else. It's a tool. And yeah. sometimes if you've ever tried to record guitar, I've recorded plenty. It's uh, it can get hairy, especially the more guitars mm -hmm. you try to stack on a track and um so for that reason yeah there's a time and a place for both things for for bendy notes and just i need this to stay in tune so yeah, yeah say goodbye to the snarks <laughs> oh never i've got a thousand of them they're like <laughs> dude i a truly great uh investment. yeah yeah hell yeah <laughs> indoors or outdoors Ooh, outdoors but this like if i could take what i do to a somehow sonically isolated <laughs> outdoor scenario like a studio all made of glass walls you know that's treated that would be my ideal um because yeah sometimes being in a studio without seeing daylight for what feels like days on end can grind a person down but uh but overall i think outside when the weather's nice yeah green day or blink 182 Ooh, dude. Wow. Honestly, Green Day. I'll say Green Day because Dookie like hit me a little bit harder before yeah. I really, you know, when I was when I was young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I covered tried to cover when I come around before like way more than any like blink song, but you know, before mm -hmm. I got rolling. So <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles or New York. <sighs> uh New York, I think because um it's I have a more of a relationship with it, having, you know, known a bunch of people that yeah. live in Brooklyn and playing it a, a bit more often and frequently over the years. However, I will say because we've done so many records, um, you know, it's not necessarily L.A. proper, but uh, like Seal Beach, Huntington Beach and that Southern California stretch right below L.A. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm picking that because that is like very tied to nostalgia for me. So and uh, grape jelly or strawberry jelly strawberry yeah really? yep. i'm a great person but yep. most most people say strawberry that's okay no hate on the grape but the okay. strawberry i figure part of me is like hey jelly's great and most yeah. people are like why you gotta fuck with it and ty <laughs> like, have you tried strawberry jelly you know uh, that's, that's where you know that's my thought. But, yeah. so where can your fans find you? you got like social media plugs Sure. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is probably where you'll most frequently find me nosing around. Uh, case underscore rock mm -hmm. uh, is the old handle. And uh, yeah. And then through any website, caseycavalier.com. Uh, the studio site is just truelevelstudio.com. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
those are those are the probably the best places to reach out um you know and if you can't find me one of those places then i don't know where i am <laughs> um yeah so that's probably the easiest way awesome well wish you the best of luck for the rest of the year and uh keep in touch cool thanks Will, for doing this man thank you for having me on gentlemen uh it's, sure. been a it's been fun uh and yes uh good luck with everything this year uh for you as well thank you, you. too awesome. all right well, we'll, be t we'll be seeing you soon hell yeah man cheers Clear the apartment I plan on collapsing And I could have sworn I heard a car door slam I'm stuck at the corner The grinding teeth and stomach acid All around I'm in a soft rain in the street